Good morning. morning. It is good to be with you this morning. If if this is your first time here at Central, my name is Tyler. I'm one of the executive pastors here at Central. Uh, And happy 4th of July weekend. I hope you have a a great, great weekend uh, celebrating with family, friends, cookouts, fireworks, whatever you're doing. If you're joining us online and you're joining the stream and you are up north or on the lake or on a boat this morning... We have your name and we will not forget it, but I'm glad you can join us still. It's good to be together this weekend. Real quick, um, at the end of the sermon, right after the end of the sermon, we're going to have a time of communion. So as you were coming in, if you didn't get a little communion cup and wafer, I would encourage you, even right now, just to stand up and go over um, by the tables and you can get one of these so we can all celebrate communion together. Well, if you are new to Central, this is your first time joining us all summer long from Memorial Day to Labor Day, we are journeying through the Gospel of John. We're calling it Discovering Jesus. At the beginning of the summer, we passed out these little journals. It's just the NIV translation of the Gospel of John. On one page is the text. On the other page, there's just lines so you can journal and write things down. Uh, But all summer, we've been taking time to, to walk through this book and discover who Jesus is. And as I was thinking about uh, this sermon today, as I was getting ready for it, this question kept coming up in my mind. This, this tension, this thing that, that I think all of us wrestle with in some way at some time, in some area of life. This isn't something that's unique to Christians. If you're here this morning, you're watching online, and, and you're, you wouldn't call yourself a follower of Jesus. You just came because you like to get really warm on blacktop for about an hour, or someone made you come. I would imagine that at some point, at some area of your life, you've wrestled with this question. And if you're a Christian, I'm sure that you've also wrestled with this question. It's the question of, am I enough? Am I enough? Do I have what it takes? As my life, am I really making a difference? Uh, Just a few weeks ago, we were in Panama with a team. It was the first time we've been able to be in Panama for our partnership since COVID. So it's been about two years. Uh, And it was so good to be back. But while we were there, our team primarily had two different tasks. The first thing that we were doing, and this this was a lot of fun, is we got to do all of these different sports camps. Sports, ministry, outreach type things. We got to play soccer and basketball and flag football. And it was a blast. But on Wednesday, right in the middle of the week, we played soccer with this group of early elementary students. So we went and we were going to just scrimmage a little bit, do some drills. And at the end, we were going to share testimonies and and kind of have a time where we could share in that way. And so it's our team, all adults, and then it was their team of all first and second grade students, third grade students. And so we said, hey guys, we're gonna gonna just kind of have some fun. Uh, We're not going to take it too seriously. Let's just have some fun and be out there. Within five minutes of the game starting, there's a ball that crosses the field. And my friend Jaden is right there. And Jaden tries to take a shot on goal. He tries to kind of kick it towards the corner of the goal. But his foot was just a little bit off and the ball didn't come off on the ground towards the corner of the goal. All of a sudden the ball came off his foot and started going through the air. And I'm standing back on defense and I'm seeing it's going right towards this first grader's face. And I'm standing back saying, please, 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 please. And sure enough, right into his face. He drops to the ground, he starts crying. And my first thought, my very first thought was, oh, I'm so thankful that I didn't do that. Because that's exactly something that would happen to me. 
I'm so glad that happened to Jaden and not me. My second thought was, man, Jaden's really going to struggle to share Jesus with this kid now. But they made up, they reconciled, they were friends by the end. But that was one of the things we did in Panama. The other thing we did is we worked at this location, the future site of a ministry center. It's going to be an incredible place. Uh, it's going to have art classes and music classes. It's going to have sports things, uh, a medical clinic, uh, counseling services. It's going to be an incredible thing for that community. But before we can start actual construction on the building, we had to build a fence all the way around the perimeter so that they could bring in machinery and tools and stuff and kind of secure them in this area. And so all week long, our team was working alongside of these Panamanians to build a fence. Now, when it comes to our team's fence building ability, how do I say this diplomatically? You are not calling one of us to come and build you a fence. You know what I mean? Like one of our team members, Boston, he's a carpenter, he's a woodworker, he works with his hands. He was pretty good. But the rest of us, not so much. And all week long, the Panamanians who, who were so, I mean, it was incredible to watch them, them work. They would show us what to do and then kind of say, you know, your turn. But there was this language barrier. So we were kind of guessing what they wanted us to do and we tried to figure it out. And they would do something. They would tie a, a, like a metal knot on the fence and it would look so pretty. And then they would say, okay, your turn. And we would try to do it. And it would look like a kindergartner did it. And that may be offensive to kindergartners because it was bad. It was bad, bad. And we would do it and we would say, good, bien, and kind of look at them and hopefully they would smile back at us. And they would smile, but I'm convinced that, I can't prove it, but I'm convinced that their smile, they were thinking kind of that quote of, well, at least he's got a great personality. <laughs> because this was not a pretty fence. And I can't tell you how many times as we were working, I thought to myself, what am I doing here? Why, why am I doing this? Am, am I even really helping? I don't feel like I'm enough when it comes to fence building. And maybe you felt that in some area of your life. Maybe at work or in school, the class you're struggling with. Maybe it's something in your home. Maybe it's a relationship with a friend or a significant other and things are falling apart and you begin to ask yourself, am I really enough? Does my life really matter? Do I really make a difference? What am I, what am I doing? See, I think we have those questions sometimes when it comes to faith as well. In terms of faith, sometimes we, we, we look at, at the big, expansive kingdom of God and we try to figure out, what am I supposed to do for that? How am I supposed to contribute to this? We look at our lives and our stories, our past, our present, and we think, is there really anything I can offer? Is there really anything I can do? The story we're looking at today is found in, in John chapter 9. And really quick, this section of John, kind of from John chapter 3 through John chapter 11, what John is trying to develop, the big idea in this section of the gospel is circled around this question. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And so everything that John writes tries to further and develop that idea. And the way that John does that is he writes down things that Jesus says, things that Jesus does, miracles, conversations, where he goes, and then he writes that down and then responds or writes how people respond to those things. And all of that furthers the question, who is Jesus? This morning, there's a lot of text. And so rather than reading through it all, you're going to get, this is the NIV translation. You're going to get the TST translation, which is the Tyler Sauer translation. 
So I'm just going to kind of talk about some of this text as we think about these things and think about that, that big question that we talked about earlier. See, this story begins with Jesus and his disciples walking into town, and they see, they see this man who's been blind from birth. And the disciples ask a question that kind of gives some insight to how they looked at the world. The disciples said, okay, so who sinned that made him blind? Was it him or was it his parents? And Jesus said, no one sinned that he was blind, but you will see the glory of God in this. And then Jesus does something really peculiar. He spits in the dirt and he uses his saliva to make mud. And he puts this mud on this man's eyes. Now, normally we say to be like Jesus. I wouldn't start here. But really what this is doing is this is this callback all the way back to the very beginning of Scripture in the Genesis narrative when God formed man, formed Adam out of dust and then breathed out of his mouth, breathed in life. In that same way that God created then, God and Jesus now creates and recreates this sight because the blind man goes to wash in the pool and all of a sudden his eyes are open. And this is where the story kind of takes an interesting turn that we'll talk about. Because all of a sudden, all of these people are like, wait a minute, who is this guy? His neighbors and people who knew him are like, I don't, I don't think that's him. Is that really him? And the guy's like, yeah, it's, it's me. It's me. I, this Jesus guy came and he, he put this in my eyes and I went and washed it and now I can see. And they're like, ah, I don't know. I don't know if it's really you. And then the Pharisees catch wind of this. And they, become, they come and they begin, begin to ask all of these questions. They're kind of trying to debunk this thing and try to figure out, no, this couldn't have really happened. And he has this great line. The man has this great line because the Pharisees are trying to say that Jesus was a sinner because this happened on the Sabbath day. And the man in verse 25 says, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. But one thing I do know, I was blind and now I see. I was blind and now I see. And the people and the Pharisees just can't wrap their minds around it. Eventually, they bring in his parents to say, is this really your son? And was he really blind? And the parents, out of fear of being thrown out, being excommunicated from the community, say, you know what? He's of age. You ask him. And the Pharisees come back and they're wrestling back and forth. And eventually, because the Pharisees just can't understand what has happened here, they throw this man out of community, out of the tabernacle, out of the temple. And at the end of the the, the chapter, Jesus comes back in and he reveals himself to this man. And then he begins to talk to the Pharisees about spiritual blindness. What it means to miss who God is and where God is at work. And normally when when we read this text, we end up talking about the blindness and that spiritual blindness. It's it's a profound and incredible story. And we're going to come back to that idea in just a minute. But normally what we don't talk about in this text is other big idea that I want to spend a little bit of time talking about today. You know, our, our big question in this section of John is what? Who is Jesus? The problem with this story is that Jesus disappears for a big chunk of it. This chapter has 41 verses. And for 28 of them, Jesus is MIA. It's like, do you ever have family gatherings and you have that person in your family? Where at some point in the family gathering... You can look around and you're like, wait a minute, where'd Tyler go? Where'd Hank go? Where, 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 where'd Wendy go? And this person who's kind of had enough of the people finds a little room or they go outside for a walk or they go to a store just because they want to get away. Where are my introverts at? You know this part of the party, right? You just have had enough. And it's like this game of hide and seek. And that's kind of what this feels like right here. It's like, wait a minute. 
This is all about who is Jesus. But where is Jesus? Where did he go? See, a lot of scholars, a lot of scholars think that John was intentional about leaving this part of the story in. Because they they believe that John was trying to, to do something very specific here. That by telling this story where Jesus really isn't a part of it, what they were doing is alluding and foreshadowing to a time when Jesus would no longer be here. And when Jesus isn't here doing these things and saying these things, how will this good news be made known? See, this, this man has had this encounter with Jesus. His life has been changed by Jesus and he can't help but testify to the things that Jesus has done in his life. I, one thing I know, I was blind and now I see. This man can't help it, but talk about the things that Jesus has done in his life. At the end of the chapter, when Jesus comes back in, he reveals himself to this man. And he says, the one standing before you is he. And in verse 38, the man says, Lord, I believe. And it says, and he worshiped him. And he worshiped him. This man's response to who Jesus is, to what Jesus had done in his life, was worship. Worship. And see, the invitation for you and me today is that our lives, the response to what God has done in our lives, can be worship as well. And that worship for him produced and bared witness to who God was and what God had done. And and this story, this man, this miracle, points to this big idea that our lives of worship bear witness to God's work in the world around us. Our lives of worship bear witness to God's work in the world around us. And when I say worship, when I'm talking about worship, I'm not just talking about singing. That's good news for me and and several of you I've stood by while we sing before. But when I talk about worship, I'm talking about not just what we believe in here and what we think up here and what comes out of here, but what we do with our hands and our feet, the way that we love, the way that we serve, the way that we include, the way that we embody love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When we embody that kind of life, our lives become worship. And that worship bears witness to who God is, to the, God, the, the ways that God is at work in the world around us. And that's good news for you and for me today. Because this plan that God has for the good news to be furthered is you and me. That's God's plan. That's God, it doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. God's plan to, to, to further the good news is you and me and our lives of worship. See, in order for us to live this way, we have to have that encounter with Jesus. We have to have that encounter with God's spirit where our lives are transformed. And here's what I believe this morning. There are some of you sitting here this morning that it would be like that, that blind man. When you encounter Jesus for the first time, it would be like you see for the first time. When your life encounters Jesus and your life is transformed and all of a sudden you can see the ways in which God is at work, who God is, and in response to that, you can live a life of worship that bears witness to God's work in the world around you. If that's you this morning, you are going to experience that. You want to encounter that for the first time. God's spirit is here and at work. But for others of us, 
maybe most of us. This morning, it's not about seeing for the first time. In fact, in some ways, maybe we can relate more to the Pharisees in this story. Where we've had an encounter with God before, we've followed God, but somewhere, somehow, some way, because of some circumstance or because of something that happened or because of uh, just over time, the routine just becomes that, just a routine, and we are missing that fresh connection, that, that personal indwelling presence of God. And all of a sudden, it's like our eyes slowly start to glaze over. And in that same way, we become blinded to the ways that God is at work in and around us, the people that God is at work in and around us. And so maybe this morning for you, it's about God reopening your eyes, giving you eyes to see where God is at work so that you can once again enjoy a fresh pouring out of God's spirit so you can live lives of worship that bears witness to God's work in the world around us. You know, as I think more and more about that Panama experience, as I think more and more about, about that fence building, I, I can't help but remember how patient, how kind those, worker, those Panamanian workers were with us. I mean, they could have built this fence way faster way faster without us. They might have been done by then. I think I told some people that by Thursday, our last day of working, we weren't slowing them down quite as much. But we were still doing our thing. And yet these Panamanian workers wanted us to be a part of it. They wanted us to work alongside of them. They were encouraging and affirming and they came alongside and said, you're doing great, good job, keep at it, you'll get better. Even though they could have accomplished the task much easier, much cleaner, much quicker, they wanted us to be a part of it. See, I think that God is that same way. When it comes to the redemption of the world, I think God could accomplish those purposes much quicker, probably much easier and without as much pain if we weren't a part of it, if God just came in and just did it. But God desires to include us in this work. God desires to have us be a part of what God is doing to redeem and restore all things that you and I get to be a part of it when we respond in worship to what God has done in our lives. No matter who you are or what you've done, God's Spirit is calling you and inviting you to live this life, to live in this way. That way looks like Jesus. Jesus, who demonstrated what this love looks like, what this sacrifice, this surrender, this divine forgiveness looks like. That's why I love the moments when we can celebrate communion together. Because when we eat this wafer and drink this juice, it's a reminder for us. It's a reminder for us of the kind of life that God is inviting us to. This kind of life of worship worship that bears witness to who God is. And every time we participate in this, we are joined in, we are covenanted with God as a reminder of that sacrifice, that love, that grace, which Jesus embodied for us on the cross. And in that same way, as Jesus rose, we too can participate in that resurrected life. And so, as we take the bread we remember that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, 
He took bread and after giving thanks, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take and eat, this is my body. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. And after giving thanks, he gave it to them and said, drink, all of you. This is the blood of my new covenant, which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink. I don't know exactly where you are in this moment, but I do know that there is a God who is calling you home and inviting you to live this life of worship, to experience and to encounter God afresh and new so that you can live life responding to God's love and worship. And so the band's going to play this song. It's a simple song that just talks about building our lives. The foundation for our lives is built on Jesus, God's love and grace, and that is a firm foundation. And so however you need to respond in this moment, maybe you need to stand and sing and worship with your mouth. Maybe you just want to sit and reflect. When you came in, we were trying to give you a piece of chalk. I thought, hey, we're outside. We've got all of this canvas. Let's maybe use it. And so if you got a piece of chalk or you didn't and you want to grab one while the band plays, maybe you just want to draw or write what it is that God has done in your life. What does that transformation look like for you? Or maybe what does God need to open your eyes to? What are the things in your life that are keeping you from living this life of worship? The step that bears witness to the work of God in the world around us. So as the band plays, I invite you to respond however God is prompting you to, invite, to respond.